Hey friends, we've got an exciting program that I want to share with you, our upcoming Climate Leadership Accelerator Into the Arena. It's designed for those of us who feel compelled to influence climate leadership in our organisations and communities. In the program, you'll deepen your understanding of the systems operating within the climate crisis and connect with an incredible network of leaders, challenge your own assumptions and develop a hopeful framework for action. So head to smallgiants.com.au slash into the arena to learn more and apply. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. How are you? Hey, Nathan. Hi, Barry. Hi, everybody. Anna is our guest today. Yay! We're so lucky. I know. He's the CEO of the Rites of Passage Institute. And I think he's probably our most loved, most read conversation in Dumbo Feather of all time. Like the amount of fans that we get for this man is enormous. Good to have you with us, Anna. Thank you very much. (laughs) Anna, do you want to kick us off? Yes, thank you, Nathan. I would love to do acknowledgement of country. I'm up here in Mullumbimby where we are in um, Arakwo, land of the, of the Bundjalung Nation, um, but we have people from all over Australia and all over the world, and, and I want to acknowledge the uh, Indigenous peoples of this whole country, Australia and, and of the world, and pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging, and I think it's particularly relevant at the moment because the exact things that we've been told by our Indigenous friends everywhere about what we're doing to the earth and the way we're living, so much of what they've been saying is now in our face. And so my hope is that we can not only acknowledge them but genuinely pay take real notice of the wisdom that they have been telling us and passing on to us. Yes. Thank you. Yes, thank you. So before we get into chatting and unpacking that a bit more with Anna, I thought we should take some time to drop in, uh, drop into our space, um, getting into a comfortable position, maybe closing down the eyes if you feel comfortable to do so. And feeling the connection between your body and the earth that's supporting you. Paying attention to the inhale and the exhale of your breath. And just letting that breath flow naturally. Letting your shoulders relax, your jaw, feeling 
peaceful and spacious in your precious body. And calling to mind someone or something that you feel grateful for in this moment. And when you're ready, gently coming back to the space. Thank you, Nathan. Oh, I could have stayed in there a while. Mm -hmm. And we thought, Anna, that we would hold this conversation like we hold our conversations together always, which is with a check-in. Anna taught me about this kind of vital landing in the circle with whoever you're with. It's a sort of way of noting where you're at while holding that at the same time as letting it be known and seen and heard. Quite a beautiful frame. So who wants to go first? I'll start. I'm happy to start. Well, I have found through this entire COVID period that my check-ins have been very complex in that there are some really good things happening, some things I'm really enjoying and some really challenging things. And it's probably no different at the moment. I feel quite conflicted in that it's really good that Australia's done well and that countries are decreasing their lockdown staff and all of that. And yet every time I hear about a relaxing of the restrictions, there's a part of me that feels sick because I have found something in myself in this period that I have been missing for a long time due to the busyness of work and the, the isolation of my busy life. And having been here, I've had more people around me. I've had my family here and I've had huge insights and breakthroughs and a whole journey with family. And all of that's been really extraordinary and challenging and um, it's going to end. My stepson has to go back to school in a week and so the family from Sydney are going back down there and I'm like, no, no, we're just really settling in and now you have to go. So there's all of that 
And at the same time as I'm aware there's all this hardship going on and I'm happy that things are happening. You know, this morning I was down for a surf at Tigra Beach and it was beautiful and sparkly and I feel like there's this whole duality very clearly going on at the moment. And just finally, I have this real concern coming up that we may miss the gold that's on offer in this lockdown period. And that's been coming up for me really strongly, and I'll talk about that today, that what's just happened has been such a gift and it's so important that we find a way to take that forward into our lives when they go to whatever our new normal is because the last thing we want to go back to is the old normal. So that's my check-in. Thanks, Anna. You know, I mean, so much of that resonates with me and particularly this feeling of, of, of my emotional state changing on an almost like it's almost like an hourly basis and I just can't seem to get a hold of, of some sort of permanent state. So I'm feeling uh, a lot of that flux. Uh, last week I felt particularly challenging. I feel like I'm on the other side of, of quite a difficult week with, with cabin fever and kind of the heaviness, I think, of, of being in lockdown for it feels like forever, two months, I think it's been. It's my partner and I here and kind of the the conversations just get a bit flat <laughs> after a while. But then I'm also really sparked up by this this time that we have together, this conversation hour. So I'm feeling elevated by that. And we got chooks on the weekend, which was super exciting. So we have three new chooks in our backyard and I'm loving the life that they brought to our to our home. So that's that's quite delightful. Um, yeah, that's me. There's Oh, I love you both. It's so nice to check in. I'm madly in love with my children at the moment and that has been as a result of lockdown. I'm sort of like just delighting in them and 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 their cuteness and their naughtiness and their their proximity to me, that sort of feeling that, oh, my God, I've had my family with me 24 hours a day for months now and... At first it was pure resistance. No, get me out of here. And um, and then total surrender, like surrender, 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 more surrender. And then now, like Anna, what you're saying, I don't want the I don't want the kind of doors opened. I want to keep them all here and stay in this beautiful bubble. So so that's been a like surprising, just consistent feeling I've had for the last few days. And I'm a bit adrenalized don't know why it's possibly the entire pot of coffee that I consumed before getting on this call (laughs) um and I've been thinking a lot about Anna what you said how we're catching the gold of this moment and I'm happy to talk about that I think we as a community need to write in the chat how we how everyone's reflect because there's a lot of legends on this call how we reflect how we hold what's precious how we name what's precious in the last episode of the Rites of Passage conversation with Anna, we talked about sharing our vision for the future and really allowing ourselves to dream into that future and name what we would really want, not as a reaction to what is, but what we what we would love to see. You know, I have up days and down days and the darker days are frightening because I feel like we're going to come out of here and get a shock with the kind of appropriation of this time by people who are in charge of stimulus packages who are already saying, well, it's going to be a fossil fuel economy because that's all we've got to pivot to. And I'd like that not to happen very, very much. 
a wise friend said to me yesterday that what is precious about this time is how we are resting and preparing ourselves to come out on the other side, not ready for a fight. Because if what we want is a generative future, and this really resonated with me, if all of us come out of here ready for a fight, that's what we're going to get. But if we're really preparing the soil of our souls for the future that we would long to see and love to see, then it, it lives in us first and then we can hold the space for those other ways of being with one another. There will be space for them to land, places for them to orient towards. So that's my check-in. Mm. Thanks, Bez. Maybe, Anna, you, you would like to just reflect on what gold you're finding and how we hold that. Okay. So I'll give you a real-life example. Every evening in the West at the moment, uh, there's a very bright light. And I know because I'm a bit into astronomy that it's either Jupiter or Venus. And Jupiter is the brightest planet that we see the most. And it is so bright, so bright. And I've been saying, oh, it must be Jupiter, it must be Jupiter. No, I looked it up last night and it's Venus. And what I realised is that the air quality is currently the cleanest it has been in over 20 years globally, maybe more. And so all the stars are looking brighter and the planets are looking brighter and the ocean that I can see from the top of my property. And yesterday I was actually able to see a, a ship sailing past. And so it's like we have this clarity and it, it's, it's magnificent. And yet I know that in, you know, a month or two, the cars are going to be back on and the trucks and the, and the industry and, and that clarity that we have is going to close down potentially. And so the question is whether it's a healthy transformation, which we grow and become better from, or whether we miss the opportunities and it becomes a wounding and a trauma. And in order for it to be a healthy transformation, we have to take what we're learning and what we're seeing and what we are aware of now and somehow hold on to it and actually take that into the period of time when whatever our new normal is, is happening. I mean, you told me, Barry, last week, and we weren't sure whether it was The Guardian or somewhere else, that 91% of people surveyed said they didn't want to go back to what it was before. And many of us will know things that we do want to go back to. And I think a lot of people have been given a big jolt about work. And there's lots of levels of work stuff, but many are saying, oh, I need to work because I need to make a living and support my family, but I no longer want work to be the absolute domination of my entire life. And I no longer want work to be the thing that I say, I have to do you at the expense of my children. How can we take these things? And I think we need to be doing an active process of writing them down, drawing them, making models of them, sharing them with our community, with the public, and doing everything we can on an individual level, on a community level, and on a global level to see what we're seeing now and take it forwards. And I believe that if we don't actively do that, the danger is it just doesn't happen. It's a bit like when people go away on holiday, they have an amazing experience, they have all these insights about their lives and how they want to be. Three days after they're back at work from their holiday, they're like, oh, it feels like I never even went on a holiday. 
and we don't want that to happen because this is actually not a holiday we're having. This is a major life-changing global opportunity. Mm. Oh, I love that. One of the things that came up for me then, Anna, was so if I step forward and do this kind of work to change my life and to, to really actively kind of consciously create a transformation for myself and move into that, what if the rest of the world doesn't kind of move and evolve with me? How do I, you know, there, is there a, there's a tension there between me doing it on my own and how do I create the, the kind of community around me? Yeah. Well, this is the thing. We can be sure that the whole world is unlikely to do this all at once. However, we have to start as individuals. There's that beautiful um, bumper sticker, you know, think globally, act locally. So at least we have to do it ourselves. And then if we can influence the people around us and if we have greater spheres of influence through things like Dumbo Feather and, and our, our websites and our podcasts and our blogs, and, and if enough people are doing that, then that will create change. And, you know, I'm really not convinced, unfortunately, that this is going to be our only crisis. It's very possible there could be ongoing crises who knows but not a question that we have to do as much as we can and we have to be supporting you know even just saying to people hey what do you want to change what have you seen what have you thought about what are you going to do differently and then they're voicing that to you support them to do it because once it's been named and once you know it you can say to them when you see them in a week a month a year how'd you go with this or that So all the different ways that we can find to do that, all the articles that we can write, all the things that we can record, we'll add to that. And then for those of us who have influence at higher levels, I believe we have a responsibility to use that influence. And and I think that for a short period, people are listening. Most of the time, we have a set of beliefs and values that we run along with. And, and they actually control our lives, whether we know it or not. When you're in a time of crisis, that bit of your psyche, your subconscious, actually opens up and, and it stays open for the duration of the crisis. And right now, our psyches are open. We're questioning things. We're seeing things. We're realising things. So the amount of influence that we can have on ourselves and on others is much greater and you would realise one small conversation with people in this moment when their subconscious, when their psyche is open, can really make an amazing change. Yeah. Actually, that's really true for me. In the, in the last podcast you, you and Barry did, you invited Barry to share a vision, um, her vision for the future. And when I heard that, when I heard Barry articulating her vision for the future, I, it, I felt so much permission to go out and do that because I think we live in a culture where we well, we just don't, right? We don't allow ourselves to kind of lean into that um, work and that imagining. And there was something very special for me hearing Barry do that in that conversation he had. Uh, it was like an allowing. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and so, that you know, the invitation the ch- and the challenge for all of us is to really spend some time on our own, with our loved ones, creating a vision. You know, I mean, I've been doing that with my my sons up here. I've got my own son and two stepsons, and we spent the weekend last weekend and had some beautiful conversations, cooked food in the fire, and, and we talked about our visions. 
And with my partner, we spent the weekend this weekend and we got a big piece of paper and we actually drew things around our vision. And, and then that's something that you can stick on the wall and it stays there and you can refer to it. So there are many ways of doing it. I mean, there's stacks of research out there that shows that when someone has a vision, it's more likely to happen. And when they articulate that vision to others and capture it, it's more likely again to happen. And, you know, why not dream big? What are we holding back for? What are we waiting for? You know, if not now, when? You know, how fully can we live this life? And, and it is really about bringing out our gifts and allowing our spirit to really come out and shine. You know, who are all these people on this podcast? You know, on this recording, who are you all? Who, who really are you? You know, why are you here? Why are you listening to this? There's an there's a old African story and they talk about, you know, what's the dance that you're not dancing, the song that you're not singing, and the story that you're not telling? You know, what is in you that really wants to come out, but so far you haven't really given that permission for it to come out? What are your gifts that you have to bring to the world? And, and, and we want those. We, we want it to come out of you and we want your gifts to come out and we've all got them. And this period of time is an amazing opportunity for us to reflect and go, okay, if I'm really going to be me, who I want to be, who I know I am, doing what I really feel called to do, what's that going to look like? It's, it's so beautiful. I feel like what I'm witnessing is permission needed. So I'm like, if you're all orienting in my direction today, I want to give everyone on this call permission to live into kindness and tenderness and community and abundance and hope and connection as structural ideas. These are powerful, potent realities that I think weren't given zero validation in the system pre-COVID which is why we lived in an ex extraction economy because all the tender human parts of us couldn't find validation in the outside world. And now we're in this interior world and we're here together on a Zoom call. It's, all very, it's quite intimate. It's quite safe. It's quite tender. And I feel like it's radical and revolutionary and we need to give each other permission to be our most human and our best selves, and to say that that is the orientation for how we will organise on the other side of this. Mm. Oh, there is something important I want to say, and I remember mm. thinking about this 25 years ago. I went through a whole existential crisis, and it was like, well, if the majority of other people don't care and are just thinking about themselves and taking as much as they can for themselves, and if that seems to be the general way of doing things, why wouldn't I do the same thing? Because what difference is my little effort? gonna make shouldn't I just get as much as I can for me etc and, and I really went into that and thought about it and on a personal level I made a decision that regardless of what everyone else was doing I was going to do what I believe was right and and how I wanted to live and the values that I wanted to create and find the work that I wanted to do and to follow that as fully as I could and that was actually a decision, regardless of what other people are going to do. And um, it was probably not long after that I stopped being a doctor and actually started running Rites of Passage full-time. And, you know, I can openly say 
That was the worst financial decision of my life and the best internal, spiritual, happiness-providing, purpose-validation decision that I ever made. So, Actually, I was wondering, on a, this great series you're doing with Barry around framing COVID as a rite of passage, I was wondering when that came to you and how that came to you, that the clarity that this could be seen as a, as a transformative process. Do you remember? Yeah. I'm lucky because I get to run rites of passage leadership trainings and, and stuff where I talk to people about rites of passage. And, and even with this series that happens with Barry is that there's a very self-serving aspect of it for me, which is that I get to explore ideas that I may not even have had before I started on particular discussion. Mm. But because I've been having quite a few of these discussions, I'm now able to get you know quite deeply into them. I believe that we're on a staircase of life and we're all stepping up that staircase and we start as babies and then we're children and then we're teenagers, young adults, grown-ups, hopefully eventually elders and along the way we might become parents, grandparents, different relationships, all of that. And that rites of passage happen to move us from step to step. And rites of passage happen for an individual, yes, but not just at one point in life, they happen continually. And then they can happen within a community and they can happen globally. And one of the things that I've explored is things like that 911 was a rite of passage. And I've really looked into that a lot and how when, the, when what happened uh, in, in America happened, you know, it really transformed America. For a period of time, their psyches were open and, and interestingly, in that period of time, people were way kinder to each other and helped each other and risked their lives to each other, you know, and it really followed all the elements of Rite of Passage. And then they came back and they reintegrated and things were different and the difference was America was now sort of at war and no longer safe in America and felt justified in going out and doing various things and, you know, I won't get into the politics, but there was a transformation. And since then, when there have been major events happening, I've looked at it and tracked where it looks like a rite of passage. The most interesting thing about what's happening now is that this is a truly global rite of passage. Somewhere like two-thirds of the world's population are now in lockdown. Two-thirds of the world's population are at home with their children. Two-thirds of the world's population are not working in the normal way and are having a psyche-opening time period to explore. Part of my work is to identify the elements of a rite of passage and then it's very easy for me to map that onto what's happening here and going, yep, all the elements are there. My hope is that it actually takes us in a healthy way up at least one step on our staircase because things that change us, that transform us, can either be healthy, facilitated, supported, and we grow from them, or they can be traumatic events. And, and just to bring people into it, when I do my work and I say to people, tell us what was the experience, and maybe people want to throw this in the chat, what experience in your life transformed you from being a child to an adult? And the vast majority of people actually talk about traumatic experiences as opposed to what was done traditionally and ideally would happen, which is it's a community facilitated, celebrated and honoured process and, and would happen around puberty as a teenager. 
you know, my rite of passage didn't really happen until I was 27. So first of all, just the fact that it didn't happen until I was 27, child to adult. And it happened because my wife and I separated and I had an 18-month baby and a three-and-a-half-year-old baby both in nappies and my wife went overseas and I had them on my own for six months. That was my rite of passage. Mm. Hugely traumatic, very beautiful. I see straight away in the chat, massive car accident in year 11, death of my parents, um, you know, moving to a new land, all of these things. So our aim is to make these rites of passage healthy and when a rite of passage is imposed on us to find the growth opportunities in it. I think it's holding things with a different lens. I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about all of us here, gathered here, and and I think the right language can really help us deepen our experience rather than short, sharp, fear-driven headlines. Can we name this whole experience differently, which is what we've been trying to do, you know, by, by having the podcast conversations and and really tapping into this community. But I am interested what everyone thinks about how we name things properly so we can hold them properly. Yeah. I wondered, Anna, if you'd, if you'd share um, some moments where you've seen people have quite profound experiences in their rite of passage or profound transformative experiences, what that's looked like when you're out doing the camps or what does anything come to mind yes a lot of my work is done with multi-generational so we do a lot of father-son work or mother-daughter mother-son because we talk about this idea that we're all on a staircase and, and ideally for the child to step up and become a young adult their parents also need to step up and give them the space and change how they're parenting and if I look at the group on the first day and I stand back and I look, I'll see the fathers and sons standing near each other, but often they're back to back. And you can see that they're not really talking and they're awkward, but they're still probably safest with each other because they don't know the others, but they're very uncomfortable and they're certainly not well connected. And then by the end of the program, I'll sit and I'll see them ar around the fire and a son will have his arm draped over his father's shoulder. So the biggest thing that I probably see on, on our programs is the reconnection of people, which is unbelievably beautiful. And I also see people having very big insights about what they're doing with their lives and how much they're being influenced to do things that take them away unnecessarily. And, and I have to say the work thing does come up a lot. I see a lot of people who realise that they have really given their lives to work beyond the point of responsibility. So there might be this level of responsibility to get what I need to support my family and myself, but then if I go beyond this level, I can get all these other things, but I don't really need these other things. And one of those other things may be, you know, power, self-esteem, all that sort of stuff, but there's a point at which it becomes a price and I see many, many, many fathers who realise They've lost that connection with their children and their partners and that's a big problem and they haven't actually taken the time to stop and think about it. And finally, the thing that I really see in the young ones who come, the teenagers who come on our program, is they get this realisation that it's not just about them, that they're actually part of a family, that they're actually part of a community, that they have something that they can offer and most amazingly, they all get an opportunity to look at and realise 
that some of their behaviours are just not appropriate anymore and that there are things they need to let go of if they're really going to become who they want to be. So we do mini lockdowns on our programs. We take away groups for five to seven days. We remove all of their technology. We're out in the bush. We share stories. We do challenges. We create a vision for the future. We open up their psyche, their subconscious space, get them to think about what's important, what's not, and then eventually they come back. They get reintegrated. And then while they're out there, we also have a process where the parents tell their children what they love about them and what they're proud of, the gifts they see that they have, the beautiful things in them. Um, and, and, you know, all of those things combined together change people's lives. Hmm. It's making me think, Anna, about the intergenerational conversation. I feel yeah. like we need to talk about elderhood. What is elderhood and, and, and where is it and how do we, like, like how, how do we weave the intergenerational dialogue? It feels like I'm, you know, I saw it at the park yesterday, grandparents who have their grandchildren with them in lockdown. I'm with my children in lockdown and I'm, we're going for walks with my parents and, but just sharing stories with them and connecting. And I feel like there's something big about the intergenerational conversation because there's been a war, you know, the baby boomers, the millennials, you know, we kind of box ourselves in and give ourselves these frames that are kind of based on something commercial and weird. How do we reweave our need for each other and our need for those connections? Well, first of all, recognising it is massive. I'll I'll give you a really quick example. So I, I go to these music festivals. I get invited to go to these music festivals and give talks on whether the music festival is a rite of passage. I've done it at uh, Lost Paradise. I've done it at um, uh, the one in Melbourne, uh, outside of Victoria. I've just gone blank on the name and I've done it at Woodford. Anyway, I went to Lost Paradise two years ago. 98% of people there were between the ages of 20 and 30. And uh, it was really hot and everything like that. And we were in one camping area for the presenters and then all the participants were in this other camping area. And we had to walk through the camping area each day to get to the dining hall. They're all Average age 25. Every day, the camping area became more and more grotty and more and more smelly. And after about three or four days, it just looked like a a 25-year-old bedroom. But worse, there was toilet paper on the ground and there were bags of fly-blown rubbish. And it was really disturbing. And then the next year, I went to Woodford to give the same talk. And at Woodford, You've got everyone from babies all the way up to grandparents. It's a very multi-generational festival rather than Lost Paradise, which is all basically at one age. And at Woodford, you walk around in the morning and the babies will be sleeping and there'll be some people out sweeping and someone else will be fixing up the tarpaulins. And you actually have a community functioning as a community and it works beautifully. And just seeing that and realising how... Every person on the staircase has a role. When you have an intergenerational collaboration, that's when the whole system works. And when you separate each one into their individual groups, it actually starts to smell and badly. You get a group of teenagers together, especially teenage boys, they smell. You go into an old people's home. What's the first thing you get when you go into an old people's home? It smells. It's like it, it, it doesn't work well. Whereas when you actually get it, when you get this whole collaboration and this everybody working together, 
then the system can actually flourish. And the elders have such a massive role that we have lost. And, and for me personally, a lot of my early work was with teenagers and, and children, very much moving to elders now. And I'm 56. I feel like I'm just on the edge of looking into elderhood. And I'm seeing how they are such an incredibly valuable resource that we have completely not only disrespected but not seen. And the most beautiful role for the elders is getting them together with the young and letting the grown-ups go and do the thing that they need to do. Because when you get the elders and the young together, the young gain wisdom and knowledge through hearing the stories and the teachings of the elders, and that's what the young need. And the elders get energy, which is what they need. And the other thing that the young get when you put them together with the elders is they get seen. And the elders tell them how amazing they are and beautiful they are and, and just love them for who they are, which the parents really struggle to do. And the elders get a purpose. And the two groups in our community who are suffering the most currently are the young, you know, the teenagers especially, and the elders. The young person recognises themselves in an, an unfolding story, you know, that they see. That Correct. They the elders pass on their wisdom and knowledge and they teach the young, you know, if I'm 70 and I'm with someone who's 10 years old, I can be teaching that 10-year-old and telling them a story that happened 60 years before they were born. That's extraordinary, a real story that I was part of. And then this 10-year-old or this 15-year-old or whatever age they are gets to realise that they're part of something that happened way before them and will continue way after them. And that's a very, very important lesson for any child to realise that they're actually part of a lineage, they're part of a community rather than just an isolated event. I'm seeing some, you know, and this happens a lot, you know, there's an orientation towards this community gathering for the answers. And I want to just say about the answers to the problems that we face, they really live inside of each one of us, like every single person on this chat has an answer inside them, a longing, a knowing. And I feel like for me personally, if I can give anyone permission to do the same, when I was eight months pregnant with our first child and by accident went and watched An Inconvenient Truth with Dan, I was like, I can't have a baby in this world because that doesn't look good and I didn't know about it. I, I legit actually didn't know about it and that was my awakening and then I thought what am I going to do I can't look and ah, oh, what can I do I can't do anything I'm just one person who's unskilled to deal with this level of fucked upness and then I just took a breath and I did some stock take on like what I could do and it just turned out there was an enormous amount that I could do from going to therapy and knowing myself, like learning my story and unpacking all my stuff to my immediate capacity to contribute, it became apparent to me when I stopped getting in my own way and I wasn't using fear to block every impulse I had. So I understand that, you know, it's scary out there, but I also think everyone in this community has the capacity to do something pretty potent for themselves, their family and their community. Yeah, and let me say here also, we all have different roles and some people, their role is, you know, within their family or within their football team or within their, their street. 
you know, if but if everybody is contributing and starting with ourselves, you know, how do I be the best person I can? How do I be a, a good person? From wherever you are, practice. It is a practice. This is not an arriving at. I feel an epic fail on the daily um, in various ways. But it's that idea of practice. It's that idea of getting out of our own way. It's that idea of not thinking the answer is outside of us. It really isn't, actually, because the orientation of this time, this lockdown, is internal and we're confronted by so much that is in our own lives. So you start from where you are, take a deep breath, and you do the next uncomfortable thing that is beyond your fear barrier. That's the joy of being alive. We get to do that. We get practice being human what is community connection all these things are things they're fine ideas they're sophisticated notions and we need to live into them on whatever scale yes and and i'll tell you something else very interesting about this period that i i believe we really have to be looking at what's in our faces at the moment and by that i've been going through a bit of guilt that I haven't been doing enough, I haven't been creating enough groups and I haven't been in, in the leadership position enough and, and, and enough influence and everything like that. And, and, and people have been ringing me and I've been struggling to get back to everyone because there's just so much going on. And then I realised, you know, in this particular time, my learning, my growth is not in about how much I can do in the world. It's actually with my very own family. It's actually with my partner my stepchildren, and my own son. And that's where my biggest challenge and my biggest learnings and growth has happened in this period and where I've had some extraordinary breakthroughs and some painful moments and some big truthful conversations. But that has been what, in this particular rite of passage, what's been presented for me. Everyone will have experienced challenges during this period but in different ways. And if you're not sure what your challenge is, it's really what is right in front of you and that is asking you to step up there. And I think that's a, that's been a big uh, awakening for me in this period. Yeah, I'm really grateful for that, Anna, because a lot of this time I've been thinking, am I getting enough nectar out of this moment? You know, you talked about the goal before, am I getting enough? Am I finding the right thing that I need to be finding in this moment? You know, maybe maybe that's we see that in hindsight. Maybe we see that down the track. Maybe that's not completely apparent to us right now. Yeah. Yes, and I think we should be cracked open. Mm. Both end. Mm. I've been really concerned that there's been a lot of families at home, and some are doing it well, and others are going mad and drinking way more, and the kids are just spending all their time watching Netflix. And we can do a lot better than that. So we developed a course. Uh, called Parents and Children Growing Together, which is a seven-part e-course where we send out the modules and people do it at their own speed and and the first module is free so people can check it out. And, you know, it's basically a course that parents and children do together and we we follow the rites of passage framework in a gentle way. Um, We teach people how to do a check-in. So right at the very beginning, you know, Barry mentions a check-in. The danger is if you sit down, especially if you've got a teenager and say, let's do a check-in, how are you going? Oh, good, oh, okay, or whatever. So we, we designed a check-in that's based on the word golden. Uh, gee, how am I going overall? Um, oh, what's been occupying me? What have I liked? What's been difficult? 
what am I excited about or worried, what's edgy coming up and what do I need? So just a really simple framework and, and families do it together and so many people have told me, wow, just having that and getting the children to go through that check-in framework has been extraordinary. And then over the, you know, the period of time, we get people sharing stories about different topics, including about their ancestors and all sorts of different things. And we get people looking at what their challenges are and creating some agreements within the family and ways to deal with challenges on a personal level. We, we give a, a process for creating a vision and we support people to do an honouring or a recognition and telling everyone in the family what they love about them. So we've, we've got this seven-part e-course and it's, uh, people can get it through our website, the Rights of Passage Institute.org, rights spelled R-I-T-E-S, and um, it's been amazing. It gives an opportunity so that within this lockdown space, we can really gain something special as well as everything else with our children and indeed with ourselves. Anna, you're the best. So, guys, I, I hope you got all that. And we are we are at an end to Wisdom Hour. It feels always really weird to exit on time, but we want to honour everyone's time. And I want to honour you, Dr. Anna for being just an all-round legend and national treasure. We're lucky we have thank you here. Thank you, Barry. Um, thank you, everyone, on the call, and I just want to honour you all for showing up at your Monday lunchtime. I appreciate it. We appreciate it, and we're better together. So it's beautiful to see you all. Thank you for um, being together, and we'll be back. Yeah, yeah. next week we're talking to Damon Gamo, which will be a lot of fun. Yeah, and tune into the Great. podcast with Barry and, and and Anna. It's it's really exceptional. Um, you'll find it on the Dumbo Feather podcast. So tune into that. Thanks, Barry. Uh, thanks, okay. Anna. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Everyone, take bye. care of yourselves this week. Lots of love. Bye, bye.